Amen. Give these guys a hand, I tell you. And I am so thankful to have these gifts shared with us uh, each week here at Tapestry. What an awesome team. Hope is alive. That's really, if you were to put the book of First Peter in a nutshell, uh, that would be it. That's what Peter is trying to convey to the uh, believers that he's writing to in the first century. And that's what he's trying to convey to us as, as a writer who wrote uh, some 2,000 years ago under the inspiration of God's Spirit. His word is timeless. And for those of you going through difficult times uh, this morning, uh, please receive that word from him. That hope is alive uh, because Christ lives today. Um, how many of you were here last Sunday? It was kind of a shocking service, wasn't it? Um, we had a, a couple loud booms in the middle of the service. And, you know, the, 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 the projectors go out, the lights go out, the sound goes out. I mean, it was a wild service. Well, come to find out that uh, there was a transformer that blew a big one in Roswell. So that wasn't internal. That was all external um, that was going on. It was interesting how it sort of lined up with our message. But uh, I did find out this morning that uh, because of the time that that occurred, you know, other churches in Roswell obviously experienced that. And some of them just called it quits and just, you know, told everybody just to go home. Way to bash on through, church. Just way to bash on through. Good job. Good job. Hopefully we're past that this morning, but if it does occur, we know how to handle it. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to First Peter. And somebody reminded me last week that if you go to Revelation and take a left, you're going to bump into Jude before you hit those three Johns. Okay? So go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, take a left, Jude, three Johns, and then there's Peter right there. And we're going to be in First Peter. Chapter 2 this morning as we continue uh, our Hope in Hard Times series. Let me ask you something. How many of you would say, and be honest, be on, how many of you would say you're going through a hard time right now? Be honest. You're going through a hard time right now. I Put your pride aside. Yeah. A number of hands go up. Family challenges. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your health. Could be finances or just a variety of other things. How many of you would say you've been through a hard time in the last year? Okay, that's almost everybody else. Now, how many of you, unfortunately, are seeing a hard time coming on the horizon? Yeah, we just we just got news on our taxes um, uh, a couple days ago, and uh, it's I see a hard time coming April fifteenth. So, um, yeah, you know the the reality is, um, unfortunately, as much as we try to position ourselves, and we spend a lot of time, I know I do, spend a lot of time trying to avoid a hard time. But as much as we try to position ourselves to avoid them, man, challenges and difficulties will come our way. And I reiterate this because it's literally a promise from Jesus. In John 16, Jesus was telling uh, the disciples just prior to that in John 14 and 15, he was telling the disciples, you know, hey, it's not going to be long and I'm going to be leaving you. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be going back to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you here as orphans, okay? I, I've got a gift uh, that I'm going to send to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then in John 16:33, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Okay, he says, I've told you these things. I'm not going to leave you alone. Uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to live inside you. He's going to be your living hope. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. At Jesus, at, those are the words of Jesus. We're not going to avoid it here. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, if we have by faith surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ and allow the forgiveness that he affords us through his work on the cross to cover the sin in our lives. Then Peter says in chapter 4, kind of fast forwarding a little bit in the book, Peter says this. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised. Don't let it take you by surprise that you're in a hard time, that you've come through a hard time or that a hard time is coming. Don't be surprised about this painful trial as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. We're all experiencing this same reality to varying degrees at different seasons during this lifetime. In other words, what Peter says is difficult days are part and parcel of life on this planet. Expect them. Expect them. And know that you're not alone. That's what Jesus is reminding us of here. Today's message is entitled, Don't Go It Alone. And especially when times are tough. Peter is writing again to a group of believers who've been driven out of their homes. They've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They're being persecuted. They're being marginalized by their neighbors, by the government, by everything culture is pouring on them. Peter's purpose here is to give them hope is to give them hope. Hope is alive, is his message, to give them hope in the midst of hard times. He reminds them that they're chosen, that they're special, that they're children of God, that the creator of the universe calls them his children. Just pause and let that sink in for a minute. God loves you. God chose you. To be his child. God sent his only son as a sacrifice that you might be ushered into his family. Peter reminds them that this world is not their home. That their pain has a purpose. And that God has not forgotten them. Mm. He encourages them to live holy. And to love others, as those of you learned as you're walking through your small groups together. Even as they suffer, to live holy and to love others in the midst of their own suffering. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, because of all these things, all the things that I've just listed, because God's chosen you, because you're his child, because you're the elect... 
Because, because God's calling us to live holy in the midst of suffering. We're to live, love others in the midst of suffering. Then Peter says, therefore, because of all of that, let that motivate you to rid yourselves of all malice, sin. This stuff that doesn't line up with the character of Christ in our lives. We don't like the word sin anymore. It's taken over on this own connotation. Even, I'll be honest with you, even when I hear it, you know, it's like it has this connotation in our culture. Sin is anything that's contrary to the character of Jesus Christ. Because he's perfect. He's holy. So, so Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of all that. Of all the deceit in your life. All of these things he lists are relational sins. Think about it. Deceit. We're lying to someone else. Of course, you can't lie to yourself. Hypocrisy. Envy. Slander of every kind. You know, as I read that, I'm reminded that it's so easy when we're under pressure. It's so easy when times get difficult to compromise. You know what I mean? When we're squeezed, what's in us comes out. And the question is, what's in you? When you're under pressure, when you're squeezed, what comes out? It's easy to compromise when we're under pressure. It's easy to lie to get out of the mess that we're in. Just watch the news and the politicians. You know, it's one story one day until somebody finds out a little bit more information. They get squeezed a little harder and then that story changed. And ultimately the truth comes out way on down the road. It's easy to blame others. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault when the pressure comes. It's easy to envy in hard times, to, to look at somebody. How many of you have ever done this? I mean, when you've been under pressure and, and you're going through a hard time, you just kind of glance over at somebody else and it's like, man, I wish I had it like they do right now. Absolutely. I mean, covet the fact that they're not going through what I'm going through. We all do that. Peter says, rid yourselves of those things. What comes out of you when you're squeezed? Fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, peace and patience. It reminds me kind of those Skittles commercials, you know. They squeeze the guy and just all these little things start coming out of him. Love and joy. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that the kind of stuff that comes out of you when times get hard? Or is it something else? Peter says, be aware of the sin that rises to the surface when you're under pressure. And throw it off. Throw it off. Half the battle is being aware of it. Half the battle is being aware of your own reactions and the way you tend to respond. Know thyself. Peter says, know what happens when you go under pressure. Expect it. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Do you point the finger or do you seek the Father? When things get tough, Peter goes on to tell us, don't point the finger. Seek the Father. Thirst for God. Thirst for for God, not just when you're in a difficult time, but be prepared for those difficult times by thirsting for God and seeking the Father well before those times befall you. 
in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, I love this passage. I mean, it, it, it just resonates with life. Peter says this. He says, like newborn babies. He said, this is what, what I want you to be like. Okay. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. That word spiritual there comes out of the, the, the Greek root word logos. How many of you know what that word means? It means word. Word. The living word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. So what he's saying here is I want you to crave the word. I want you to crave the living word. The living hope you have in Christ and the written word of God. The authoritative word of God. So that by it... You may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, crave the things of God above all else in your life, not the things of this world. What do you crave? (laughs) I mean, really. What do you thirst after? What do you hunger for? Is it God? And we have so many distractions in this world. So many things that are pulling us in so many different directions. It is so rare to find those who rise every morning and open the Word of God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says what? Blessed are they. Who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this picture of a newborn baby really says it all. He says like newborn babies, they're just hardwired to want just one thing, right? I mean, a baby comes into this world and it doesn't care what color, you know, its little outfit is. It doesn't care what its nursery looks like. It doesn't care if it's pink or if it's blue. You know, it's not going to push back on that. All babies are concerned about is what? Milk. All they want to do is eat. And if they don't eat, what do they do? Cry. More than just cry. Like scream. Pitch a fit. Get everybody's attention in the room if they don't get what they want. That's how God wired us from the beginning. And and, and Peter says, man, like that. Like that. Thirst for God. Thirst for God. Singular focus. And fixing our eyes on Christ, Peter says. Thirst for Him. Thirst and hunger for righteousness. And if we're going to cast off the old, we've been talking about that a lot this year. The old man, the sin, the flesh. We're going to rid ourselves of that. We're going to put on the new and we're going to live for him. We've got to get up every day and we've got to cry like a newborn baby for Jesus. So I feel, oh man, that's a little dramatic, isn't it? No. He is your, he is my only hope. You know, we're so self-sufficient today. Or that's kind of the goal is to get to the place where we don't need anybody or anything. For so many people, that's it. 
As long as I don't, you know, I, I mean, boy, if I can get there, then life's going to go well because I'm not dependent on anything. We were born again to be entirely dependent on Him. And that's the picture that Peter is painting here. The psalmist put it this way. He said, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And God didn't create us to go through this life alone. He created us. He brought us to this new birth to be His children so that He could walk through this life with us. Is the world quenching your thirst for God? Is the enemy of your soul quenching your thirst for God? That's His only job. That's what He lives for. That's all He does. And He never sleeps. We've got to be purposeful. We've got to be mindful. We've got to be intentional about pursuing Christ daily. Or the enemy will quench your thirst for him. Jesus put it this way with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, everyone who drinks this water, the water of the world, that we think will satisfy our souls, but never does. He says, everyone who drinks this water, they'll be thirsty again. You're just going to have to keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. And there's never really fully any satisfaction. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give him, Jesus said, I am the living water, will never thirst. Will never thirst. He's talking about soul satisfaction. He says, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Only Jesus can satisfy. And that's Peter's point. If we crave the things of this world, we will ultimately be disappointed. He says, thirst for God. Thirst for God. Walk with God. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. You know, that, that, that verse doesn't really mean what sometimes it, you know, just a cursory reading we think it means. It's not the desires of our heart and our flesh that God's going to provide for us. If we delight ourselves in Him... Our desires and our will will conform to his desire and his will. And he will provide those things for us which will bring us satisfaction. It's not just delight yourself in God and he's going to give you whatever you want. He's going to give you what he wants for you if you surrender your heart and your life fully to him. Thirst for God. And then Peter goes on in verse 4 to say this. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, the living stone, he says, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, 
you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, as Christians, we were created for community. We're better together. We were created to walk through this life together, not to do this thing alone, to walk with God and to walk with one another in the good times and the bad times that we might be those who shine the light of Christ through our lives regardless of the circumstances surrounding us. We were created to connect to His church. To connect to His church. So much of this... This ecclesiology, if you will, is being lost in modern culture, in modern Western culture today. The whole idea that, that I am to firmly plant myself in the body of Christ, in the church, because it's God's purpose for my life, that He actually is building me into this place or into another local church to become an integral part of the structure of it. It's like if we're not building ourselves and allowing Him to build us into this spiritual structure, this structure, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, will suffer. We're losing that. We're losing the local church in our culture today. For, for, for really a consumer Christianity, God has a purpose for you being here. God is building you into this place as a living stone. And just like if you were to take a big section out of this wall over here, and, 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 and the, the church looks just like it does, and you just take that whole section out of one or, or two of those windows, and every Sunday sort of the rain's coming in and the wind's blowing in here, and you know, it's like, what in the world? That's just weird. Why don't they fix that? That's the spiritual picture that Peter is painting. When we don't take it seriously, when we don't allow God to build us into the church as the people and as the part of the church that He wants us to be. Every one of us has a purpose in the midst of this. Uh, in the midst of this and God calls us to connect to His church. Not only to Him, but to one another. Peter says, stay connected, man. Stay connected to the body of Christ, especially in hard times. This is God's house where his children gather to sing his praise and encourage one another. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are one of those living stones. And you are critical to the structure here or in whatever local church the Lord has called you to be part of. The church needs you. And you need the church. Somebody forwarded me an article this week about really the epidemic of loneliness in, in, our, in our country today. And I've talked about this in the past, but this was sort of a different take on it. In the last 30 years, the number of people who describe themselves as lonely has doubled in our nation from 20 to 40 percent. So they, the, the big survey goes out. Would you describe yourself as lonely? Forty percent of the people 
in the United States said, yeah, I would. Now, that's interesting with the advent of social media, with the advent of all these different connection, you know, platforms and all that kind of thing. People are not connecting on a heart level. They're not connecting in the way that God created us to connect. And it's just making it worse when you just sit on your couch and like, like, selfie. Look what my cat ate. I mean, seriously though, that's what's going on. Friends, how many friends you got? How many likes you got? How many followers you got? Honestly, none in that arena. It's all surface level stuff that the enemy is using. And I'm not against this stuff. I mean, I'm tech savvy and I do all that stuff too. And I struggle with the same things that you guys struggle with. But man, the enemy uses that surface level stuff to keep us from pursuing deeper relationships with people. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not a technophobe or anything of that nature, but I do see it for what it is. Connect to his church. So somebody forwarded me this email, 20% uh, lonely folks have, have risen to 40%. Loneliness in America was officially declared a public health threat in 2017. And studies have linked chronic loneliness with a much higher risk for heart disease and stroke. All total loneliness is nearly as unhealthy, they have determined, as smoking and obesity. That shocked me. Another study took a long view on friendship and lifespan, okay, and kind of evaluated folks' social spheres and how long they lived. They started this study in 1965, uh, the year that I was born. Y'all do the math. 7,000 men and women that they, they tracked for 53 years. Remarkably, the biggest factor in longevity. So this is legit. Regardless of people's age, gender, or health practices, whether you were in the gym five times a week or not, the largest factor in longevity was having close social ties. Not on Facebook. In fact, researchers found that those with close social ties and unhealthy lifestyles. So if you had a bunch of friends, but you like to smoke and drink on the weekend, it's a, that, even that they found, actually, those folks actually live longer than the people with poor, so, with no friends, but ha, that were in the gym five days a week. That's how important, that what evidence that God created us for community He created us to walk through this life with Him and to walk through it with one another. We are Jesus with skin on. Man, when I've gone through difficult times, when I've gone through some of the hardest times of my life, you know, it was, it, the, the Word encouraged me and I was encouraged by that and worship encouraged me, but it was a friend coming alongside me. Say, man, we're in it together. That's what makes the difference. Thirst for God. Connect to His church. And we were created for community. 
Let me ask you something. Do you see yourself as an integral part of this spiritual house? Paul put it this way in the body metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12. Beautiful metaphor, one of the the greatest pictures in the whole Bible. Paul said this, he said, now you are the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. (laughs) A living stone. And we were never meant to go it alone. God created us for relationship. He created us to thirst for him and to connect with the body of Christ. The church is our home away from home. And that's what Peter is conveying to these exiles who have been pushed out of their own homes and are scattered throughout the empire. Hard times just get harder when we try to go it alone. So Peter encourages us to stay connected to God and to one another. And he finishes this this section here with a reminder. He always brings us back here. He says, but you, you are a chosen people. Man, you're a royal priesthood. You no longer have anything separating you from God. You've got direct access to the creator of the world if you have received Jesus Christ by faith. He says, you're a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. All plural here. All plural use. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Man, once you were not a people, once you were not belonging to God, now you are the people of God. Once you had not been forgiven, you had not received mercy, but now you have. Thirst for God. Allow Him to build you as a living stone into this spiritual house of worship. Let's pray. Father, draw us to Yourself. Lord, make it clear to anybody who can hear my voice right now that, Lord, you love them. You love us. You desire to forgive us. And, Lord, you are drawing each of us to step into your kingdom. Father, if there are those here this morning who have never surrendered their life to Jesus, Lord, may they take that step. May they receive him. As their Lord, as their Savior, may they acknowledge their, their sin. May they step into the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And Lord, may they become a living stone in this spiritual house of worship. Lord, I pray that we would step away, push away from the world. And the things in the world that we thirst for and that we hunger for. And Lord, you would draw us to yourself as the deer pants for the water, Lord. May our souls long 
after you. And Lord, none of that is circumstantially dependent. You remain the same today, yesterday, and forever. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are building our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.